You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. Since last fall, we have been going through the book of Luke. A couple weeks ago, we jumped off from chapter 12 to go look at the passion narrative of Christ. Jesus entering into Jerusalem on his last day of his life, and even this past Good Friday in our Good Friday service, we walked through his trial and crucifixion narrative. So today, we're going to jump all the way forward to the resurrection narrative. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. In 2009, in the country of Norway, the national public television station wanted to offer an experiment that they called slow TV. This was the televising of routine travel journeys in real time, That's it. Pretty boring, huh? The first thing they ever showed was a seven-hour train ride from the city of Bergen to Oslo. That's it. They just put a camera on the front of the train, and they turned it on the TV. And surprisingly, they found that one-sixth of the Norwegian population tuned in and kept it on the whole time. Because of its surprising popularity, the second time they tried it was... uh, this slow TV experiment was a sailing journey along the Norwegian coast called the Hurtigruten, a five-day journey with no planned drama, 11 cameras on the boat showing all the action, stopping at many port towns along the way. After two days of this, people in various towns along the sailing route started to figure out what the schedule of the boat would be, and they began to plan ways that they could get themselves on camera. So people would plan water skiers by the boat that's filming, and they would get on TV. Eventually, bands would be on the docks as the boat would come in, and they'd be playing as the boat would come in. Whole flag-waving ceremonies all along town edges would happen so that these people could get on TV. And all along the way, it wound up shattering television audience records in the country of Norway. Because people were so excited to write themselves into the story. They were so excited to enter into the story that was unfolding. 
It turns out this is a deeply spiritual impulse in us. Whether we are religious or not, we desire to enter into some story that is bigger than us. Whether it's a movie we love that we wish would never end or a multi-volume epic novel that we just love, we want to enter into the story. A sports team that's succeeding with our fandom or maybe swapping memories around family holidays. We desire to enter into a story that will never end. We don't just want to observe the story. We don't just want to agree with the story. We want to enter into the story. And ultimately, that's what's on offer to us in this Easter story. It is to enter the cosmic human drama that never ends. How do we enter? How do we enter into the Easter story? By being skeptical, by remembering, and by following the leader. How do we enter the Easter story? By being skeptical, by remembering, and by following the leader. First, being skeptical. In verses 2 through 4, it is Jesus' female friends who find his body gone. And they are perplexed, verse 4 says. This means to be confused with some mild disbelief. What in the world is going on? People don't normally rise from the dead, after all. And then after an angel tells them what's happened, they rush to the 11 remaining disciples in verses 10 and 11. And they tell these disciples that Jesus has risen. And because in the first century... Men didn't happen to believe women all that often. It says in verse 11, they thought it was an idle tale, and they didn't believe. Right there in the Bible, Jesus' closest friends, his male friends, says they didn't believe. His female friends fared a little better. They were just merely perplexed. We, too, normally don't encounter people coming back to life after three days either, right? That's why being skeptical is actually so important to entering into the Easter story. Often we have come to church for decades and and kind of been chastised for having doubt. Oh, you just need to believe. But that won't help you enter the Easter story. You need to be skeptical. If you're a Christian this morning, your faith can't just be a blind faith that is not supported by the historical evidence. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, which we read, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, what are we doing here? Being skeptical drives us to investigate the facts, the very foundation of our faith. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're in good company then with Jesus' closest followers. They too were skeptical from the outset. We shouldn't accept Christianity on blind faith. If we have a healthy skepticism, what does that make us do then? It makes us pursue the facts and not our emotions. And what are the facts? In the Gospels, fact one, Jesus was laid in a tomb, a a cave of vertical slots, where when someone was set in there, there wasn't a seal over a particular plot. You could have gone in decades later and seen the body that was laid there. Seven weeks after the resurrection of Christ, the disciples are in the middle of Jerusalem preaching the resurrection of Christ, which if anybody wanted to discount, they could have easily walked into the cave and seen Jesus' dead body sitting there, but they couldn't because the bones weren't there. A second fact, the Bible points in Matthew and in Luke and in John that the first people to encounter the risen Savior or the angels guarding the tomb were women. If you were trying to perpetrate a fraud in the first century, the last thing you would do would be to have women be the people to proclaim as witnesses 
the resurrection of a dead body. The fact that it's recorded in here is probably proof that it happened. A third point. The disciples changed lives. Here they are skeptical, but based on documentary evidence outside of the scriptures, we know that 10 out of the 11 remaining disciples died a martyr's death. And their primary message, Jesus Christ has conquered death. Would you die a martyr's death if you knew it was a lie? You see, skepticism makes us pursue the facts about the resurrection. But laziness inhibits us from entering the story. We cannot enter the story by being a lazy Christian relying on blind faith. And we cannot enter the story by being a non-Christian thinking that we know everything already or we could just look it up on the internet. True skepticism makes us go looking for facts. And that helps us to begin to enter the story. How else do we enter? By remembering. By remembering. The women, upon not finding Jesus' body, are confronted by angels, these men in dazzling apparel in verse 4. And in the angel's speech back to the women in verses 5 through 7, three times they emphasize that he's risen. He's alive in the flesh. He's not just this spiritual or metaphorical resurrection to make us feel better about ourselves. He's really alive again, and he's conquered death. He's not going to die again. They emphasize it three times. And in verse 7, one of the things they emphasize is, hey, Jesus already told you this stuff. In fact, their statement in verse 7 is near verbatim what Jesus had already told his disciples way back in Luke chapter 9 when he says, hey, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over into the hands of man, and on the third day he's going to rise again. And even that statement the angels make in verse 7 is said in other ways throughout the book of Luke. Jesus has been telling his people all along that have been following him, this is going to happen. But they forgot. And it says in verse 8, finally, these women remembered his words. You see, the angels were only restating what Jesus had already told them. To enter into the story of Easter, we must ongoingly remember the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It cannot be a mere cognitive head thing. We can't only pray when we're in trouble. We must remember him constantly. A consistent way you can do this in your own life on a daily basis is by reading the Bible or by praying to God throughout your day, not just at the beginning or the end of your day, but to rely upon Him with every hour of your day. Another way we remember Him, as silly as it sounds, and I promise this isn't self-aggrandizing, is by coming to church on Sunday. What we do here is not necessarily a lot of new information. What we do is we reenact The story, we re-enter into the story of Jesus' death and resurrection every Sunday here. We talk about our confession, and then we are assured of Christ's forgiveness. We take communion every week and allow the story to enter us. If you're looking for entertainment, there are way better places to find it. You can find it with your favorite sports team or shows. There's even great political shows on on Sunday morning, if that's your thing. There's way better entertainment than church. No, what we do here is enter the story. And allow the story to enter us. How else could you ongoingly remember? Lastly, this morning, we enter the story of Easter by following the leader. By following the leader. Verse 1 tells us a seemingly innocuous fact of immense importance. That it was the first day of the week. Now, why is that important? 
Well, Jesus' resurrection didn't occur on the Sabbath, which for a Jew was the seventh day, the final day of the week. Jesus resurrected on the first day. And the first day in this instance is more like the eighth day of the week. It's the first day repeated, but better. This calls to mind the first day of the very first week, all the way back in Genesis 1, when God, in Jesus Christ, Colossians tells us, created all things. The first day, God begins to create all things. And on the eighth day, the first day, but better, Jesus begins to recreate all things, beginning with humanity. Jesus' resurrection is not just that he kind of came back to life, that just this one guy merely came back to life. It's that he defeated death permanently, and all who believe in him will be resurrected someday too. In this way, Jesus' resurrection functions like the repetition of an octave on a musical scale. I'm kind of an amateur musician. There are seven notes on a musical scale. If you remember your sound of music and your Julie Andrews, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, and the next and the eighth note, do, 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 do. An octave is the same note, repeated, but better. And Jesus' risen body is a renewed humanity. It is the same humanity, but better. And this is precisely why so many other places in the New Testament call Jesus a firstfruits. This is a botanic metaphor, a gardening metaphor. He's the firstfruits of this harvest of a newly created humanity. There's going to be more. There's another harvest to come. And all those who follow the leader, all those who rely on Jesus with everything that they are, all those who know they belong to Jesus by his grace alone, They too, after their deaths, will follow their leader into resurrected bodies. Humanity in eternity will be a physical existence. We can also follow our leader through death into resurrection by the little metaphorical deaths. We die throughout our lives. Sometimes the death of our pride. Or the death of our free time. Or the death of our reputations. Or even just the slow aging of our bodies. There are many ways we die, these slow metaphorical deaths over time, and our leader faced death and empowers us because he died and rose for us. We too can face those deaths with his power. Our leader has risen from the grave to start a new creation for you and me and all who believe and trust in him and not on ourselves that we too might be renewed. Let us follow our leader. Let me pray. Our Father, give us the courage and the strength to follow our leader when it's not popular, when it's hard, when we feel like we're dying a thousand deaths. Lord, help us to rely on the truth of this, that in Christ we might be strengthened and renewed, ongoingly to remember always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.